This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hello, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. Today, we're going to talk about managing editorial. What is this mysterious role in publishing? It involves copy editing, it involves scheduling, it involves all sorts of behind the scenes planning. And we're excited to have Jill Freshney here to talk about what a managing editor is and how they're involved with making comics happen. Jill, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what your job is now? We're recording from the amazing Flatiron Building, where where Jill works, which um, has some interesting acoustic effects. <laughs> I think last time we recorded here, we were talking to Jen Lennon, and like there were fire trucks kind of going by right. constantly in the background. There's usually something going on. It's a on. sonic landscape for the publishing industry. Yes. Anyway, please. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay. So yes, as you said, my name is Jill Freshney. Uh, I guess give my my full title Senior Executive Managing Editor for the Macmillan Children's Book Group and I work directly um, as Managing Editor for First Second, our graphic novel imprint and also Roaring Book Press, one of our um, other children's imprints. How did I end up in comics? Uh, kind of a rather a convoluted way. I um, I actually, as you can probably tell, I'm from England. <laughs> um, I did a degree in print technology and publishing in um, University of Hertfordshire in the UK. Uh, I was very focused on on print in general. I'm just a big lover of print and the print process. Yes, um, as most comics people are, <laughs> yes. I think. The just sort of whole ink on paper and the physical appearance. And from there, I started my career in publishing actually in uh, academic publishing in London working on all sorts of things from architecture books to um, engineering, history, all sorts of things. Um, as a, I guess what would be called now, like a production editor. Yeah. So I was trafficking books through, getting them copy edited, all that kind of thing. So um, that was my start in publishing. And then I relocated to Los Angeles, um, continued on the sort of educational side of things. And then one day... I was kind of looking to make a change and my husband pointed out an ad to me that was for managing editor for Tokyo Pop. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I said, oh, I've never heard of them. I wonder who they are. <laughs> and then That's a, a delightful experience a unfolded before moment. You. Uh, Yes. And I read the description and I said, don't be ridiculous. How could I possibly do that job? I don't speak Japanese or Korean. I mean, I know manga. I had read some manga, but, you know, I wasn't a huge follower of it. I was a comic book fan, um, but not so much manga I was not so familiar with. But um, but I thought, well, why not give it a try? So I applied. I went in. I had an extremely lengthy interview that went on for two or three hours uh, while what I got a parking ticket. <laughs> uh, I was passed around various people. So the head of the department... Um, gave me an extremely tough interview for some time and then handed me off to various other people just to kind of, it was really more of a an endurance test than an interview. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I guess I passed because I got the job there. Um, and I got the job there around the time that manga was really taking off in the US. Um, Tokyo Pop had just started to flip the books so they read the same way around that they would in Japan or Korea and that had kind of sparked even more of a, a frenzy for it and everybody was starting to license all those books so we went from when I started uh, we published on monthly schedules so um, we started I think we were doing about 10-12 books a month and within a year or so we were doing over 50 books a month that is a, <laughs> a big expansion it was a very rapid expansion so you know you really learn what you're capable of when you're thrown into those situations um and i was you know i was responsible for kind of trying to keep them all on schedule but also for getting all of these books translated from japanese and korean and sent to rewriters who would kind of polish the the raw translations um, to go to the editors for them to do like a line edit. And so you're then, managing freelancers in addition to Yeah, I was else. managing all of the translators and rewriters and then just trying to kind of keep everything on track in general. 
And also, uh, I also managed the cover approval process because all of the covers had to go to the original Japanese and Korean publishers for approval. And they, they are very uh, detailed in what they will allow you to do um, if you want to make changes to their covers. So you couldn't just change the color of something or move something without getting approval on every single thing. So I also managed that that side of things, uh, which required a lot of uh, yeah, diplomacy. A lot of balls to juggle. <laughs> it, yes, it was. It was, but it was fun, you know. And it made me realize, oh, this is this is a job I'm I'm good at, you know. And yeah. I liked being involved in all of the different areas because you had to constantly be working with the editors with the production people with the designers the layout people um and it was kind of nice just being in the middle of that and trying to manage all the pieces i mean obviously it was very stressful as well but kind of made me think oh maybe this is a job for me uh so i was there for i think about three years moved to new york temporarily got another job at back in academic publishing for Cambridge yeah. University Press and then this job came up at Macmillan which was um, originally managing editor for Roaring Brook Press and First Second and that was um, about ten and a half years ago. And now you're in charge of all the managing editorial for yes. all of the children's publishers at Macmillan. Yeah, yeah, because we didn't used to have a children's group back then. It was individual imprints all operating independently, doing their own thing. So when the group was formed, I kind of moved up a bit and then have gradually, um, we formed an actual managing editorial department, which we didn't have before. We just had managing editors doing whatever they needed to do day to day. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I, I was put in charge of the actual department. And over the last few years, we've kind of built that department, hired production editors, more managing editors uh, to handle all the different imprints we have. So, yeah, my role is kind of coordinating how we handle things, processes, but then also managing my own specific imprints. Uh, first second is a large part of that. So, so okay. for people who don't know much about managing editorial, so what are the responsibilities of you as a managing editor? Like, what does the managing editorial team handle? It's right. probably different than at Tokyo Pop if uh, yes. there's a company that's not doing all books and translation from Japan. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's very it's very different from that. Um, and in fact, it, it, it varies from publisher to publisher slightly. I mean, all of the different publishers, depending on the size of the company and the number of books you're doing and just the way the companies have evolved, have diff slightly different setups for their managing uh, departments. Ours is... Um, it, it encompasses the managing editors and the production editors, so we all work together. The production editors are doing the hands-on. They have their own titles on every season. They, they're responsible very much for the copy editing and proofreading side of things. And the managing editors, although we do act as production editors on, our, on books as well, we also have the managing editor role, which is more on the uh, management of the list side of things. So we will work with the publishers and editorial directors for each of the imprints to actually plan the lists for each season so you know editors will tell us we want this book on this season move this one off change this title all of this kind of stuff but we will also be looking at it to think well can this book actually be on this season you know is this actually a realistic thing if it has to be there, we're kind of working out how to make that happen with them. So we're kind of helping form the lists for each season. Then we will actually, um, in my role specifically, I now plan all of the pub dates for the whole group. So that's kind of a bit of a, almost like a puzzle of, you know, planning out key titles that need to be in specific months, you know, something seasonal, if it's a Christmas title, a Valentine's, all that kind of stuff, they have to be in specific months. Um, there's books that are ongoing series or authors that we've created a specific slot for in the year. So everybody knows that they're going to get, oh, you know, it's November, we're going to get the new Marissa Meyer or whoever, you know, is going to be in that slot. Um, so part of my job is I actually plot all those dates in and then look at the other books to fit them around them so we get a nice even publishing plan and not pub you know we're not publishing 100 books in one month and 
maintain in another month. Yeah, and, and looking at like the age categories. So yeah, that you're so like, we're not getting what's the big YA book for July? Right. Yeah. Or so we're not putting competing things too close to each other. We're not, yeah, getting kind of a balance in many different areas. Now, at that point, are you worrying about things like printer time, or is that not something that you're concerned about that early on? We no, we we are because. For something to be on that season to start with, we have to have kind of thought about that. We have a list of basically dates for each season that says, you know, for a picture book, we would need to have art by this date to be able to publish it on this season. Um, and for a graphic novel, um, the same thing. Basically, we know we have to have a, a files, final files ready to go to our production department to, to start proofing by a certain time for it to make that season. Um, and also a lot of it is geared to start with actually to when we need sales materials. There's the kind of two big points for any books, which are getting the sales materials and then having the finished books. And if you can't get the sales materials... And the sales materials are like galleys yes. or catalogs. Yeah, so um, advanced re- people call them all sorts of different things. So bound galleys, advanced reader editions, blads, which are like little samplers... Um, all that kind of thing because even if you can make the finished book on time to publish it when you want to if you don't provide the sales materials that our sales people need they can't actually go out and sell it properly so you're kind of uh, handicapping yourself a bit if you if you try and push something out without being able to provide selling materials for it. I actually just had this I was turning in the final files for my book after it got copied there's actually a separate because they they want they needed to turn the blad around so fast. So like, can you also set up a separate file that's just so we can get the blad made so they don't have to right. pull it out and do a? Se- it was very interesting. Yeah. I hadn't had a. Uh, I didn't. Blad was new. I'd have arcs and galleys, but blad was a new one for me. So, yeah. Uh, that was an interesting. Yeah, we tend to do those for um, color books that are too expensive to print a complete book for, or if something is running late, we know we're going to have a chunk of it. We can at least provide a sample of it. Um, yes, yeah, so we're thinking about that kind of thing, you know, both things at the same time, the end date, but also the sales materials. Um, and then managing editorially, let me see. So there's the scheduling side of things. So once things are actually on a season, we are also part of preparing to launch a list. So that's when the editors will actually present all of the books to sales and marketing and various other departments. Um, managing Ed is is in charge of managing all of the data for that book so we have a system every publisher has the different systems but we have one called Biblio Um, every title is set up in there pretty much every piece of information that somebody might need to know about that book is in in there so you know from the basic stuff obviously author and title and that kind of thing but also all of the production specs trim size page count the uh, editorial copy for catalogs, tip sheets, all those sort of things. So, so like the author bio, the, author the book bios, summary. Yes, the BISAC categories that say kind of what this book is about, where what the, what the main themes are. Um, and the managing editor is responsible for actually setting up the title in, in the system, assigning an ISBN to it so the contract process can start. Um, and then we maintain that information from that point on. So if we as often happens, a title changes. It's the managing editor who has to make sure that gets done. Or if a person writes another 20 pages and the book is longer than expected. And the, yes, if things change, if we decide we actually want to make this a slightly different trim, all of those things all go through the managing editor so that that is always 100% up to date. Um, because at a certain point in the process, the information in there will be what we call confirmed. And that means it's now feeding out and it will go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the other sort of external partners. Um, so it's very, very important that that information is correct and that there aren't typos in titles or author names spelt wrong or, you know, author names missing, all of those things, you know, they're extremely important. The metadata is one of those words you hear over and over again. <laughs> very important so we're kind of the keepers of the metadata and then there's some other stuff that's like copy editing like the the parts like as the book is happening yeah, yeah. that are your 
responsibility or on your department as well. Yes, so that's the other piece of it is the production editing, which is the actual copy editing, proofreading, that side of things, as you say. So our department handles that as well. So the managing editor will kind of plan the schedule to say, you know, this is when we need to start the process. This is when we need a first pass for copy editing. And with the graphic novels, obviously they have a different workflow from text novels and picture books and that side of things. So in many ways, each one is kind of unique. Um, They do follow a fairly set workflow, but there's... There's so many more pieces in a graphic novel. You kind of have to look at each one individually. You know, is it being done by one author artist? Are there separate people? Is there a separate colorist? Who's lettering it? Is the artist lettering it? Or are we going to letter it in-house? All of those pieces we have to look at and kind of come up with the best plan of action for each book. So, you know, obviously the ideal is that you have all of your final colored pages in, you create your first pass and you start with that often that's not feasible. So the managing editor is looking at when are we going to have lettered inks? Can we work from that? Or in more extreme circumstances, when we're running very late, if somebody's pencils are tight enough, could we copy edit from lettered pencils? Um, So there's a number of different options. So we look at that side of things. And then we assign, every season gets assigned out to all the the production editors in in the department. So we all get given our titles. I have titles. Um, The managing editors do slightly less production editing than the production editors. (laughs) Um, And then you're basically taking each stage, finding normally a freelance copy editor. Except um, probably in the case of something that's a crazy crash if it's, schedule. Yeah, it kind of depends, from again, from book to book. If it's something short and like uh, a younger book that's, yeah. you know, maybe 96 pages, 80 pages, something like that, we would often do that ourselves. We often kind of share. So, you know, I might do a read of one thing and then on the next pass I might hand it off to somebody else in the department so you get a second pair of eyes on it. It's amazing how you you could just not see the same mistake oh, definitely. over and over yeah. again. I yeah. mean, it's just it's, the worst thing is to have only one person look at something. You really need to have like two or three different sets on, of eyes on every book because, yeah, people are just attuned to different things. Um, you know, I feel like... A lot of people will really notice tiny details in the art, whereas others will be more focused on the text. I mean, everybody, we, obviously we try to use people who are strong across all areas, but people just have different strengths. So some of it we will do in-house. We have a lot of books to handle, so we try not to do too much of it in-house. Um, most of them will go out to freelancers. So we will kind of talk with the editor, ask them to give us any notes on are there specific issues you want the copy editor to look out for in this book you know have there been timeline concerns or you know is there certain language for the age group you know i I had a character's name change and i gave a list of instructions to the copy editor and on that was look out for serifed eyes that aren't where they're supposed (laughs) to be and tell me if i forgot to change this character's name in a couple of places right it's uh, spend a lot of time looking at eyes whether they have serifs or not. (laughs) But that's also, I mean, that's something that sort of like style guide is something that the author can kind of provide where they they might say... If they have specific preferences, yeah. I have words in this book that are in English and words that are in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I want the Spanish book words to be Roman and not italics because they should just be integrated into the text. So do not put copy edit marks next to any of the the Spanish words that are in Roman asking if they should be in italics because I do not want them to be. Yes. And that's exactly the kind of thing we do need to be told because we do have, we have a house style that we kind of follow as a general guide, but it's, it's definitely not a rigid thing that we try and enforce on every book. So if there's something that's that doesn't follow that like you know we would normally mark foreign words to be italic although i know there's conversations going on now about whether it we should, should be doing be that happening happening so these things yeah. you also have to kind of stay informed on to see you know what's general opinion and we make yeah. decisions on what we want to do but we need to be told that kind of thing if an author has already said no, no I, I I just don't want that done. Yeah, I want my character to be referred to as black and not African-American. Right. Do not query throughout the yes. text. Yes, then we know not to waste our time kind of marking that kind of thing. So, yeah, we get guidance on that kind of thing. And then we look at 
you know, we have different people we like to work with. Everybody has their favorite freelancers, people who have strengths on certain types of books. So if it was a non-fiction graphic novel, I would be trying to think of somebody who I know is good on the sort of fact-checking side of things yeah. and who is detailed with checking bibliographies and back matter, which I know many people do not enjoy. <laughs> My copy editor actually went and Googled all historical events and places, which I really appreciated. Right. And it actually did catch something that yeah. I missed. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that's definitely important. Often you'll be like, well, this person wasn't actually in that country in that year, so that can't have happened. Or <laughs> so good to know. <laughs> so what are the people that you are working with? Like, on, like who, who are the colleagues either in-house or, or freelancers like that you're directly dealing with as part of your job oh gosh uh a lot um i mean in-house uh on a pretty pretty much a daily basis with editors yeah. designers and those are managers. like outside your department the editors and designers and publishers and salespeople. right they're are, all in different departments yeah. in in my department I'll be working with other, the production editors, mainly, you know, the production editors who are working on books specifically within my imprints. Um, but then we kind of work collaboratively between all of us if we just want to, like, sometimes we'll be, I have this book I'm looking for a copy editor for, uh, it needs to be this kind of person, does anybody have anybody they'd like to recommend? So we kind of work like that a little bit but yeah with the freelancers you kind of build up a relationship with them a lot of them we've worked with for a long time and then others we bring on new people to try out and and just you know specifically for graphic novels we have a lot of freelancers who are very used to working on text novels but that sometimes that doesn't transfer you know somebody needs to be a lot more visual for a graphic novel and there's different things for them to keep in mind so you know, we try out new people quite frequently. We just, when we were speaking with Jenny Holm in a previous episode, one of the things the copywriter has to look out for was uh, whiskers and tail continuity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the art continuity is a, is obviously a very large part of it. And, um, you know, you, you just very, very frequently get things that flip from one side of somebody's clothing to the other side on the next page or, you know, a missing yeah. finger or, you know, all, all those things. And, you know, Again, you have to kind of treat it book by book because often that depends on the art style. You know, some art is very loose. The author, the artist isn't really focused on being like hyper realistic. Uh, so I'm not going to mark if, if you, you know, if there's a sort of flurry of hands and I can't see all 10 fingers, I am not going to flag them. Um, but if somebody's super detailed and there's particular kind of key things, then you really have to kind of keep an eye on that kind of thing so are you usually uh talking directly with authors about things like this or are you going through their editor or how does it normally usually through work? the editor i mean it kind of depends sometimes uh you know authors that we've worked with for a long time you may have ended up meeting and getting to know or um maybe there's been queries that have the editor has just decided to just loop them in you know so often on emails an author might just get looped in and then that way we I would just be emailing directly with them but I would normally leave that with the editor to instigate if they want to handle it that way because they have a better idea of how that author likes to work um, you know we're very happy to work directly with an author if they if they want us to and sometimes when an author has a copy edit they might have questions and it's actually easier for them just to direct the questions to us and and for us to say oh you know we suggested this because of this or this was just a suggestion and if you don't want to do it that's absolutely fine not to do it because that's another thing with copy editing is um for authors to remember it's often a, just a suggestion you know there's things that are typos but there's some things that are to do with consistency or just clarity that we might just make a suggestion and you know might it be better to add a caption here so we know we've switched scene or you know, those kind of things, they are completely free to say, no, I don't want to do that. So, you know, we're just kind of there to, you know, it's a copy editor, but also a reader who's who's wanting to get the clearest experience from reading the book. Can you unpack the copy editing process for us? So you get a file from design and you're like, they're like, it is now time for the copy edit. Yeah, we normally get a printout because okay. the, we, we actually mark up the the a printout physically uh, it's just kind of easier to work that way you can digitally mark up pdfs but you know if it's a short book 
months that's fairly straightforward but on a longer book it's actually much quicker for somebody to go through and mark up printouts Uh, and it's also kind of a lot of people find it easier to flick back and forth you know when you're looking at consistency issues so yes we actually get a printout at 100% scale so that we can actually check that the trim is matching what we have in our system we look at the page count to make sure the page count is matching up and that we're not falling in the middle of a signature and we're going to have like 10 blanks in the back of the book (laughs) Um, always a concern yes Um, so yes we will get a printout the ideal is is that we knew that printout was coming that day so we have already booked a copy editor for it and that person is ready knows what's yeah. coming knows so what their deadline the is schedule that you're organizing that's uh, when you're thinking about scheduling is like the copy edit or the files for copy edit are due to me by yes. x date the the goal is that we during we have production meetings every two weeks so at that meeting i will say okay so i see we have the inks for this book coming in in two weeks time will we be able to have a first pass from those inks a week later, two weeks later? And we kind of set a tentative first pass date that we use for copy editing. So in theory, I kn- we know it's coming. You really ideally want to set up a copy editor ahead of time. People get busy. You don't want to be in a situation where something just lands on your desk out of the blue and then the people you like are all busy and you kind of have to go with whoever's free. So you want to be able to get the right person. So what's the turnaround time like for this usually? Normally, uh, we normally give copy editors about two weeks. Uh, You know, it varies depending on the length of the book, how late we're running. (laughs) You know, often they're working on projects for not just for us, but for uh, other publishers as well. So, you know, obviously they can do it faster than two weeks, but they may have other work to to fit it around. Um, Some of them work full-time jobs and freelance in their free time. (laughs) So we try to give them two weeks we crunch that down if we need to some people are just super fast anyway so even if you give them two weeks you get it back in a week's time but and then once you have did you get the manuscript back from the copy editor yeah we well what happens first of all it comes back from the copy editor to the production editor we will review the whole thing so we'll go through um if we disagree with any marks or if we have answers to queries we will mark those um, if we have suggestions, we'll also mark those or we'll step things. If, if they've marked something and I'm just like, that's ridiculous, why would you have marked that? <laughs> I will just go stet. <laughs> stet means leave as is. So basically, don't touch it. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> so the production editor will look at it first. Uh, when we send it out to the copy editor, we email the editor and we say, I have sent this out. This is the day it's due back to me. I will review and I will have it to you on this day. Uh, so they know it's coming. So then we'll hand it off to them. We'll give them a deadline for when we need it back. So we which normally... Which a new design pass, which all the edits have been incorporated Well, the actual in. copy edit comes back yeah. um, so that we can review it before. If, if new text has been added, yeah. we like to kind of read it over to make sure no new typos have been introduced yeah. before it goes to design for the yeah. next pass. So we'll hand it back to them. With, there's a style sheet that the copy editor puts together to record any style details that they've followed, um, lists of character name spellings, place spellings, any kind of unique things like that. All goes onto the style sheet. Decisions on you know whether we're spelling out numerals or leaving them as digits. All those kind of little details uh, get recorded on the style sheet. So that goes along with the past to the editor. And the editor is the one that actually sends it to the author for review. Sometimes they'll just scan it and send it over to them or they'll go over it themselves. And if they're really, if it's all very straightforward changes, they might just send them a scan and just highlight some queries that they need to deal with. It kind of, again, it depends on the book and the author. Like if we've been working with somebody for a long time, we kind of know how in-depth they want to go and then it comes back here and we will review any changes before it goes to design and then the designer will input all those corrections and give us a new pass just to do it all over again (laughs) and then you'll check that pass against the last pass yes to make sure that all the copy edits have been incorporated yes so that's kind of a two-part thing at that stage we get back the original the first pass with all the copy edits marked we get a clean second pass the second pass will go out to a proofreader, so it's getting read by another person. 
and either the proofreader will check it against first pass to make sure all those corrections were done or the production editor will do it when we get the proofread back we'll look at what the proofreading marks are but we will also look at it against the first pass to make sure all the corrections were done correctly do you ever encounter an issue with uh, and i guess this would be slightly more of an issue with prose authors but maybe not where the author is being like oh well so here's my chance to make all of these last minute changes that i've <laughs> suddenly realized that i want to make and you get the manuscript back and they've like rewritten half of a page or something you know, or uh, that doesn't seem to be too much of an issue with the graphic novels. It's definitely more so with the prose novels uh, because they're actually reviewing a copy-edited word file. So I think the urge to go in and start changing stuff is stronger. Whereas with the graphic novels, we're normally in a an actual laid-out pass at that point. You know, there's balloons. It's kind of hard to suddenly start adding extra text, dropping stuff without having to mess around with the art, particularly if the balloons are actually drawn into the artwork. Which they yeah. have to be at the point that you're copy editing it. Yes, they yes. Well, it depends. Yeah, sometimes they can be digitally created balloons, and obviously those are much easier to edit. But if they're actually in the artwork, not so much. <laughs> I might have redrawn a couple of faces during my copy edit that were bothering me, but I tried to keep it to just that. Yeah. No, I mean, in general, I don't find we get a lot of major changes on the on that stage which is great <laughs> but yeah no i mean it, it, there'll be occasionally that, that an author might not like a style choice we've made in which case we we won't make the change you know or we'll come up with an alternative suggestion if it's something that's just really not working i guess this is it. so you, you're not the one who has to explain to the author by the way, this is how a copy edit works. Please don't panic that they've marked up your manuscript to this extent. <laughs> no, uh, my uh, the assumption is is that if, if it's a, a, a debut author who hasn't done the, been through this process before, that the editor would explain the stages to them so that they're not alarmed. <laughs> uh, I mean, in general, the copy edits are not, you know, they're not being confronted with a massively marked up thing. You know, it, it varies a lot, obviously. And also, we do think about whether something is hand-lettered or digitally lettered. Um, if something is hand-lettered and the, the text is basically artwork, it is extremely time-intensive to make corrections to it. So we try to take that into account during copy editing and proofreading. So we would probably not suggest some sort of rewrites that really aren't necessary um, if something's hand-lettered because it, you have to kind of piece things together from letters and it's a bit can be a bit of a nightmare where if it's digital lettering obviously it's much easier to edit text I've definitely talked to friends who've gotten their first copy edited and they can often feel very attacked by it but I mean the point of yeah. course is not to be like your book is a mess but to be like this might potentially be an issue and we just want to make sure that it's okay. Right. Because I think people have this feeling like every single note in the copy edit is something that they have to do or they have to mount a giant argument for why they're not going to do it. And I think that's like a fundamental misunderstanding of the point of I copy I think so. Edit. Yes, yes. I think I think it is very important for an author to have it explained to them that copy edits are not a criticism in any way of a book. They are, you know, they can be everything from just fixing a straightforward typo to you know, we've handled this one way in one part of the book and here it's slightly different. Do we want to make it consistent? Or when we move from this scene to this scene, I was a bit confused as to what was going on here. You know, is there a way to kind of clarify that change? Um, it's really more, you know, just trying to add to the smooth reading experience. But I, I understand some authors can kind of see it as a lot. Why are they telling me to change stuff? There's there's always a reason for it, you know. And as, as I said, some of them are necessary changes and some of them are just suggestions. So I think that's the key thing is, you know, we're making a suggestion. You don't have to take that suggestion. The sense that I get is from your perspective, it's you would much rather ask yes. and have it bring it up and have them say no 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 I don't want to change it then have their book be published and have them be like oh no yeah I wrote 19th century as a numeral in one place and 19th century written out as a word in another place <laughs> I am a fool like I uh, think well, yeah I mean the go in general it's always better to query than not query we're also you know again with with the format you have to have a certain amount of flexibility because we might not enforce some rules in in the graphic novel format that we would in a text novel 
Um, and that, that that is actually kind of a prime example of something like that because sometimes you only have a certain size of balloon to work with. So we're going to live with 19th century in numerals and if it's hand-lettered and it's spelt out somewhere else, we might not worry about that so much, you know? Also, the lack of find-replace in those hand-lettered <laughs> files is brutal. Yes. Yes. Um, I think another thing that people that I've talked to have found stressful about this sort of process is that even if they're like, I have gotten my like 19th century and 19th century stuff all lined up, like my publisher now knows that I'm a terrible speller (laughs) and I feel the, the guilt of elementary school and middle school teachers exhorting me to win spelling bees and spell everything <laughs> correctly. But I, I do feel like this is a little bit of a, a people maybe don't need to be as worried about. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone hires authors because they're impressed by their spelling capabilities. No. Uh, I feel like publishers hire authors to do books because they think they're great storytellers in graphic novels. They're great artists. Yeah. Um, and the whole reason that a copy editing, proofreading, managing editorial job exists is because editors don't really care if authors are great spellers, but want to have a system to make sure that yeah. books are in general spelled correctly. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I don't think any author should be feeling at all bad when, you know, the spelling errors, because that's what we're here for we want them to be focusing on telling the story and if they're obsessing you know running to the dictionary all the time i think that's not going to be ideal for their process and that's what we're here to kind of just catch those things i feel like the school metaphor is really good for this also because i think especially for younger cartoonists who maybe are recently out of school there's this feeling that like ever they're being tested all the time and Mm. everybody's waiting to see if they know what they're doing and if they're going to fail where it's like i feel like for almost everybody at the publisher but especially like kind of very invisible but very important jobs Mm. like copy editing and manager editorial the whole point is that like it's a support system it's like a whole bunch of people who are like behind you to make you look as good as possible but be mostly invisible themselves like it's not a bunch of people surrounding you and judging you it's a bunch of people standing behind you being like look at this amazing book I'm going to very subtly fix this one typo don't pay attention there we go it's fixed now (laughs) well that's the kind of the point of it is to take away those distractions because the last thing you want is you know you've written this amazing book it's gone out in the world and there are those people out there who just live for the day when they get to spot a typo and they can write to the publisher or the author and go oh look on page such and such i found this those people are actually very helpful though let me say they are i mean they are helpful in terms of getting reprint corrections done but (laughs) it's it's amazing if you ever see a typo in a book definitely like take a photo of it and email the publisher and be like hey just fyi you might want to fix this in the reprint yes don't at the author on twitter though (laughs) no no but yes our goal is to kind of be invisible but to be there just to kind of do whatever it takes to get the book to be the best it can be, you know? I'm sorry, I just, I genuinely get such a warm feeling in my heart about this kind of thing. (laughs) It just takes this enormous family of people to get these books made. They're so complicated, especially graphic novels, because there's so many steps involved. and, And especially if you're, you're an idiot like me. I mean, hand lettering is bad enough, but I letter my I lettered my book in Photoshop, which is a terrible idea. But once I start, once you start doing it, um, but it means that it's very easy to introduce errors in all the process of making this book. So it's very nice to know that there's other people who are there to be like, you leaned on your keyboard there while you were pasting that into Photoshop, and there's like an X there that isn't supposed to be there right. or whatnot. So you get the proofread back. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? So basically, we, we kind of go through the same process we did on the copy edit. Um, you look at it. We look. The production editor looks at it. We pass it back to the editor. They review. If you know, again, depends on the book. Some authors might want to see all stages. Some will maybe just see the copy edit, and after that, the editor will just look at it. And if there's any queries, they'll just email them and say, you know, what do you think about this change. But otherwise, it will just go from the editor to back to design. They will make the corrections. And at that point, we're normally done with the full uh, copy edit proofread passes. We will, if we have the time and something is sort of longer and more complex, uh, it is lovely to be able to do another read. But 
um, that's often not practical. So at that stage, we're normally going to just check in corrections. So with, then it's all in-house. It will come back. The correction will be made. The next pass comes back. Production editor will check the two against each other to make sure they've all been done correctly. And in theory, at that stage, we're, we're kind of done. You know, there might be a couple more corrections. We, we just keep going until it's clean, basically. Yeah. So that in that part, you sign off and the designer is basically at the point where they send all the fire, files to production to go to the separator. Yeah, so, so then we're the ready. Yeah, yeah, so then we're ready to release uh, to production to go to the separator for proofs. Um, so we've been mostly talking about the way that this is supposed to work. <laughs> what kinds of problems come up that end up being problems that you personally have to take care of? Like, what kinds of fires do you end up having to put out for books that are running behind schedule or have any? Like, what, that's the thing. Is it just books running behind schedule or it's, are there other issues that you have to deal with? Um, I mean, I would say the bulk of it is books that are running behind schedule. Um, a perpetual problem. A perpetual problem, yes. Um, Everyone's books are always running behind, behind yes, schedule. Yes, I mean, invariably there's books that, are, that start off on time and see like seem like they're going to be you know run along quite smoothly and all of a sudden you know because you just don't know what's going to happen yeah. there can be people who just aren't able to get finished on time people have personal issues that come up which mean they can't work for a while you know there's all sorts of uh, yeah. different situations so you have your bi-weekly production meeting yes. and the editor is like this is going to come in two weeks late what happens then is the book off the season like no what sort of process happens um you know it's fairly rare i would say that we actually move a book off a season it really depends on how far along we are in the process uh whether we've launched that season to sales and marketing uh you know ideally once something's launched people are aware of it they're focusing on putting together marketing plans all that kind of thing so you know moving it off is is kind of more of an issue and that launch happens like a year in advance. Yeah, it's, it's uh, sometimes more like a year and a third. It's actually in more advance. than a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so we just launched full nineteen, so. and it is the uh, <laughs> first day of August today. Yeah. So yeah. it's just okay, just yeah. over a year, basically. Yeah, but for some, I mean, for November books, it's like, yeah, it's a year and a and a quarter before. Yeah, I mean, it happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, so once that's happened, like we don't really want to move books off. You know, sometimes it's unavoidable. But in general, we look at every option to uh, make up that time. So, you know, there's different stages. If something's slipping a couple of weeks, we can normally, you know, factor that into, you know, just trying to do a speed up the copy editing and proofreading stages. Um, so there's those, those stages we can try and do faster. And, you know, ask editorial and design to also review things. Yes, faster. you know, I mean, each each piece is like on our end, we will try and turn it around faster. But we also do ask editors and authors to do their reviews faster if they can um, and design to make corrections faster. Again, that really depends on how a book is set up because, yeah. you know, some files are easier to work with than others. <laughs> so and then on the actual production end of things, um, if we hit delays, we'll also look at uh, seeing if we can reduce the proofing time. Uh, normally, we we um, on the on the four color books that print overseas, we get color proofs, and we normally go through first first proofs, second proofs. Occasionally, we have third proofs, but often we're done by second. Um, and that process on our standard schedules is about three months. So we will look at it and go, well, can we do this in two months instead? Which is usually possible so you can take some you know so there's there's a few different stages where you can make up time but if if it's you know these these inks were supposed to come in next month and they're not going to come in for another three months then that's kind of a different situation that may put us in a situation where it's just not possible to keep it where it is so if you're a cartoonist who's working on a book with a publisher in the style of Macmillan so it's like a big mm. kind of print publisher uh, and you're thinking, I don't know if my book's going to be get done on time. So should you just try to make your deadline? And then if you don't make it, just be like, oh, no, I'm not going to turn on my book today. Or should you? No. Like, I, I, I mean, that, yeah, obviously, that's not what you should do. So like, but, but if, if you're an author in that position, like, what's the best practice to make I, it less, least likely that you're going to have your whole book be on fire? I mean, I think really, it's the sooner we know there's an issue, mm -hmm. the better. Um 
in general, if somebody's working, they kind of have a good sense of their own pace and what they're capable of, and they know their deadline, they should they should be able to go, okay, well, I've done this many pages and I have this time left. That's not possible for me. I should tell my editor now. So, I mean, the really the earliest we know about it, the, the quicker we can kind of look at it and go, okay, well, how much time do you need? Is it going to go out? two weeks is it going to go out a month or more you know and we can look at it up front the sooner we know the more time we have to kind of look at where to make up that time or or to see that maybe this just isn't going to be possible to keep on that season you know and there, there's there's there are in extreme circumstances there's different options like printing something domestically rather than in china but that's more expensive so in general we try not to do that i mean that would be an option for not just like we've launched this book a year and three or four months mm-hmm. before it's coming out, but like it's important for this book to come out on this specific date right. because it needs to make a Halloween promotion or yeah. it needs to so, be coming out to time for this convention or right. the yeah, author needs to be doing school visits. Mm-hmm. And so, or it's a part of a series. Yeah. If we want to keep a series, we really want to hold the same pub date for it you know whether it's once a year or you know every other season or whatever it's kind of important to keep it on track for that but yeah as you say if there's a seasonal thing if something is very much a halloween book bizarrely halloween books go in the spring lists um if it doesn't make the spring list we have it on it means it has to move out a full year so it's not just a case of moving something from spring to fall it's actually delaying it by a year so that obviously is not ideal. I think sometimes cartoonists can have this feeling that everybody at the publisher is very busy and important and therefore (laughs) they should write as few emails and bother people as little as possible but it sounds like actually the opposite might be true and if you're worried even if you're not sure yet and you're like well I think I'm doing okay but my sister just had a baby and I think I might have to go whatever that maybe you should let your editor know as soon as possible. more information is better than than no information and and a surprise later on, you know? You'd rather get 10 emails about something that ends up not being a problem. Yeah, I mean, even an email just saying, hey, I'm still on track for my deadline is wonderful, you know? You know, that's actually a very good point. I should send more of those. (laughs) It takes takes somebody like 30 seconds to read it and it's just reassuring them that, oh, everything's okay, you know? Whereas if you don't hear from somebody for a month and then they pop up and say, oh, by the way, I'm not going to make my deadline. (laughs) I mean, but probably like monthly updates to that extent. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean Rather constant. Than, oh God! <laughs> Every morning, open up your laptop, be like, "I have begun work today." Um, my my editor asked me to use a hashtag for one of the books that I'm working on, and I think it was because she's genuinely interested. But it also it makes it easier for her to be like, "Oh, yep, Allison's still working on her book." Yeah, I, I actually it's actually quite helpful. I see authors sometimes posting pages on Facebook, and I'm like, "Oh, that's good. They're they're that's working. Pro- I'm it's seeing happening. progress." Yeah. <laughs> So we talked a little about all these jobs, like copy editors, proofreaders that are freelancers that you work with. And mm-hmm. probably there are some other ones, like if there's like a nonfiction book, like fact checkers. Um, you know, I don't know if you're also involved with uh, like hiring sensitivity or authenticity readers. Also, there's like indexing for right. nonfiction books that that kind of. Um, oh, yeah. How does thing. that work? <laughs> who does who does the index? They, that- those are freelancers. We do not we don't index in house. I think we'd go crazy if we did that. No, we hire freelance. I mean, I think there have been I, not not in this job. I've worked in other jobs where an, uh, an author wanted to do his own index. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but um, but no, we hire freelance indexes. You know, it's a specialist job. I think a lot of people think they could do it, but it's you know to, to, for yeah. for a good index you want somebody who knows what they're doing so how um, do you find the people to do this like you know obviously right now you have like a presumably like a database or a list or something yeah, like we that have a freelancer but like database when for you everybody. started this job and you had just moved to new york mm. and you were like must find some people <laughs> to do all these things for graphic novels like how did you find them like how would you recommend and how would you recommend that people who are like i would love to be a freelance copy editor or indexer right kind of like build their skills up so that they would be an attractive person to be hired by mm. someone in your position i think i mean as far as indexes go um you know <laughs> i've like always very special it's, it is quite special <laughs> this uh, i mean i've always worked at companies where they've already had people and then when i've moved to another company i've basically brought those people yeah. with me but there's a society of indexes who has a date you know you can go <laughs> onto amazing. websites and 
see lists of people and do they have like a clubhouse <laughs> i'm sorry i want people who are listening to this to know i literally just made the home alone face at that i'm i'm definitely googling this when i get home <laughs> so but for copy editors it seems like for copy editors and proofreaders uh yeah i mean we have in-house here we have like a database that we've built up a lot of it is as people have joined the company they have brought people that they worked with in their previous jobs. We get people who contact us who are already working with other companies or have some experience and we give them, we have a proofreading test we send out uh, and we just review what they've done. And if they seem like they're catching the right kind of things, we will try them out. Normally, we will start people on like a second pass cold read. So something we know is already in pretty good shape. What is involved in the proofreading test? Is it difficult? It's, I would say it's difficult. Like if I had to do it without having seen it before, I guarantee I, I would miss stuff in it, mainly because it's something that has had a lot of errors deliberately introduced into it. So yeah. it's kind of very heavily. Yeah, so it's like something that people have to proofread. It's not like a multiple choice. No, it's just a few pages of a novel that have had sort of the common kinds of issues introduced into it to see what kinds of things so it's not just typos it's also will you query things it's like homophones and things like that. yeah Maybe, it's yeah. like all sorts of different examples of of a variety of different issues so it's looking at like you know yes is somebody catching a typo or grammatical grammatical error but are they querying things and are they querying them in in a kind of relevant way so it's not long it's just you know it's just something to see that somebody has an eye yeah. for things one of the most common things like repeated words over a line break so you've got a word at the end of a line and then the, the next line begins with the same word and your eye often doesn't register that the second repeat of it uh, so those kind of things we just want to see that somebody's noticing that um, but it's not the case that if they don't catch every single thing in it we wouldn't give them any work because there's, you know, there's some nobody's going to catch it. Somebody would have to be an absolute genius to catch every single thing. In it. So, do you work with a decent number of people over the course of your career who are just cold emailing you, or do you want to have some kind of? Because, because part of the issue also is like the turnaround here is pretty fast. So, somebody might do an amazing job on the test, but if they then don't turn the manuscript back on it on time, that's a big right, issue for you. Yeah, it's not just about having the skills to to sort of spot errors and query things, but it's also you know deadlines are very very important for freelancers if you know if we start using somebody new and we do you know we have signed people up who've contacted us cold but you know in general they tend to be recommendations from somebody else um, and we've built up quite a large list of people so you know we don't need a lot of extra people so really if somebody it tends to be people who come to us and say well I'm I'm already doing work for you know Penguin whoever Simon and Schuster whoever you know we might try them out there's copy editing classes yes do you find that those are helpful for people who are starting their career like it's it's not so much a thing where someone is like i edited my friend's college papers i can be a copy editor yeah. no problem yeah that's not that's the kind of thing i tend to not follow up on because i think a lot of people misunderstand the difference between editing and copy editing you know you're not it's uh, very specialized yeah it's it's not really the same thing so you, you get a lot of people who are like yes i was on the student newspaper and i, I edited my friend's papers and i that's not really what we're looking for um i think doing those courses are definitely helpful for somebody starting out because that is actually teaching you more about what you should be looking for it's teaching you what to follow for, like chicago manual of style is what we use as our main sort of style reference um so it's helping somebody become familiar with that and even know that it's a thing that they can use as a reference um so that's a good starting point i see that there's a copy of it on the there is a rather faded here. copy because we use the online version now but i'm not going to throw away my print copy we'll so. <laughs> I, I have one also i have to admit i think they're up to edition 17 now so it might even be 18 i'm, I'm out of date so if somebody wants to get into this business maybe like maybe trying to work with a smaller publisher or, or, or start a little bit maybe don't start with Macmillan maybe. yeah I mean, yeah I mean if you if you haven't done anything at all professionally for a publisher it's unlikely we're going to try you but you know somebody has to get a start somewhere you know you can do it for smaller organizations and gradually build up and you know it's not to say that we don't occasionally try people but you know it's it's a bit of a risk so <laughs> and if someone 
wants to not be working freelance for you, but to like have a job similar to your job one day, be mm-hmm. the managing editor of a company like for a second or McMillan children's. Right. What, what sort of skills do you think that they should have? Like what's, what's kind of a good path for them to pursue? Hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of a unique position in that you do spend a lot of time working with a lot of the departments. So, you know, you are working directly with production managers, designers, editors, uh, you know, pretty much every day. So I think you don't need to necessarily go directly into managing editorial. And as I said, I didn't. I started out more on the production side of things. And I actually found that very, very helpful as a managing editor because, you know, when you're working with with other people in different departments, if you don't have any understanding of what their job involves and the challenges that they have and, you know, on the production side specifically, the kind of the technical understanding of how print works... It's kind of hard to do the job well. I think you need to at least have a, a reasonable understanding of all, all of the areas. So it certainly doesn't hurt to go, you know, start out in production or editorial or, or possibly not so much design, design, but, you know, um, and then make the move in. Um, a lot of people will start out like in in my department here, as with the department's grown, we've kind of been able to bring in some more assistant level people. And if they uh, seem to have a good aptitude for the managing ed side of things, it's the opportunity to kind of move them up. So we've actually like had an, an assistant now who's now become the managing editor for our paperback conversion in print. And the assistant before her kind of followed the same route. So that's kind of a way to come in. You can start out assisting the department in general where you're getting to learn what the managing editors are doing. You'll get a bit of experience. You know, we'll try to give assistants also small copy editing and proofreading projects. We get a lot of materials from our marketing and publicity departments, you know, online banner ads to teacher's guides that are several pages long or, you know, all sorts of... Press releases. Yeah, all that kind of stuff all comes through us for copy editing and proofreading so uh, you know assistants will sometimes help out with that side of things um and then gradually if they're interested in it take on maybe being the production editor for a picture book or something sort of shorter and simpler so they get to see the managing editor side of things and the production editor side of things and if they go oh i think i would really like to be a production editor then i you know obviously you don't know what you're going to have room for but you kind of know oh well maybe we can guide this person in this direction or if there's development on the managing ed side maybe this person could move up so that's kind of a good way to you can either start out in a sort of assistant level job in the department or if you're in a related department it's kind of a good way to you're still learning about what happens here and seeing if it's something that you you feel like you'd be suited to and enjoy I think that's really good to remember also because I think that this can seem really intimidating to somebody and it's like you're not gonna have to start your first day of work at this kind of job and immediately know how to do the whole thing. No, you don't get thrown in doing all of this to start with. You're kind of going to be... You're sort of bringing people up to the department and sort of letting them take on things as they... Right. And anybody who's been brought in as a managing editor or a senior managing editor has come from another publisher where they were already, you know, like an associate managing editor or, you know, already at a level where they'd already learned enough so somebody has like a low-level job at this kind of department asking a lot of questions and being like i want to understand how you'd like that's Mm. not that's like a good thing that's not irritating your coworkers. no no i love that because you know you you don't want somebody who just sits and gets on with the job and doesn't question anything and doesn't want to know anything about what everybody else is doing so it's great to have people who are like i'm interested in what you're doing now why are you doing it you know can i help with it yeah, there's all sorts of opportunities to get into the department. And I think, as you said, it's kind of an invisible department to many people. So it's not a job that a lot of people are even aware exists. You know, I think everybody thinks of publishing. They think of editors, publicists, maybe designers. There's kind of jobs that are much more visible. A lot of people, when I've been talking to people outside of publishing, are like, I didn't even know that was a job. So... <laughs> and so McMillan Children's, it's like 130-ish people now. Mm-hmm. So how many managing editorial staff work with that, that big of a team? My department is now f- 14, I think. Okay. And um, you do like 650 books a year. Somewhere around that, yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, 
there's a managing editor for each imprint or a couple of us like I I have two imprints and one of my colleagues has two imprints and then the other managing editors have kind of one each um, and then the rest of the department are production editors who are focused on the copy editing proofreading this is mostly unrelated but do you guys have any idea how many imprints there are currently in Macmillan because I keep finding new ones that I have in not the, heard of in before. the children's group Oh, the whole company. Yeah, I don't don't know about the whole company because they acquire things occasionally that have nothing to do with children's. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. But in children's, we now have because we we just got a new imprint at the end of last year. So now we have a name. That's exciting. Yes. Odd dot. They're cool. Oh, cute. Yes. Uh, So now we have. Let me see. Breakfast, second FSG, Holt, Firewell, Squarefish, Odd dot, Imprint. Eight. Oh, and Pretty, but Pretty are based in the UK, so they do all their editorial yeah. stuff over there. So, so they're, they're part of the group, but yeah. in a slightly different way. So nine, but only eight that but are nine. your responsibility. And then there's Swoon Reads that are part of Firewell. Right, so ten. Kind of their own thing. <laughs> but yes. So many imprints. <laughs> yes, a lot. So we've had two new imprints within the last few years. So I've been yeah. doing a lot of clicking through to various books to see what the imprint was for that book recently. And I keep mm. being like, I... Really? Like Hope Larson's new book was at a imprint that I hadn't heard of previously. FSG. Yes. Yeah, all summer yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because any imprint can do a graphic yeah. novel. I mean, I'm a tour, so it's like right. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your favorite part of your job? What do you like the best? Ooh. <laughs> Finishing a book. <laughs> it's really good. That is like That's one of my favorite parts of things a satisfying too. experience when you actually get it coming in from the print, the advances coming in from the printing, you're like, wow, look at that. I was gonna say, it's so done. What counts as finishing the book for you? Is it when you're like, you have the boxes of books coming in from China? Is it when you hit the button? I, I mean, really, it's kind of when we approve the what we get called blues that come from the printer, the final sort of content-only proofs that we see right before things go on press. So once we sign off on those, on, on our end of things, we're, we're done. Um, and the next thing we see will actually be the finished books. But um, yeah, so that's great. But um, I mean, for me personally, one of the things I find most satisfying is actually the kind of problem solving aspect of it. Because although you don't want to be constantly bombarded by problems, when you come up with a solution and things work, it's a very, very satisfying experience. You know, that you kind of... If you have that kind of the way you think is, okay, this isn't working, maybe we could do that instead. And, you know, you're able to come up with different ideas to kind of work around things. Um, I kind of enjoy that. I kind of like the, the sort of almost puzzle aspect of everything fitting together and working. <laughs> Ideally working. <laughs> okay, is there anything else that we missed that you want to talk about, about managing editorial? Um, I don't think so. I feel like we've covered it all, you know, really. I, I think my one of the main things I was thinking about is it's actually nice for you to be going into this in this episode because I said it's a it's kind of an overlooked area, but a fairly key part of the process. This kind of topic is like why we are doing this, yeah. literally. Right. Because it, it's so important and a lot of people don't know anything about it, but yeah. it's really interesting. So yeah. thank you for taking the time to and explain it to us. It's essential for people to be understanding how their book is being published. Yes. If right. they're like, mysteriously, I turned my book in, and then it seems to be going to the printer several months after that. I yeah, don't why, understand. Yeah. This seems wrong. Things are going badly at my publisher. It must be because like the building is on fire, <laughs> or perhaps a water main has exploded. Or it is <laughs> like steam pipe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, instead of being like, oh no, this is because there's a process because the publisher has a system to design the book. Right. And yeah. There's kind of a set amount of time between them turning it in and the stages we need to go through to get to the point where we're actually releasing it and then they'll get to see proofs. So I think it's very good for them to understand what's going on during that time. And then it's not like just disappeared into a black hole and nobody's doing anything. You, you guys know? aren't like sitting here throwing paper or planes at each other. <laughs> we are not. No. <laughs> yeah, also that, you know, scheduling is such a big part of your job. Like, you know, that covers need to be together for launch, data needs to be together yeah. for launch. It's not because someone was just like, today I will decide to inflict the maximum <laughs> amount of, like, advanced work slash torture on all of my authors by saying, I need your 
absolutely final bio. Yeah. Like, how does this look like for a book description that gets fed out to Amazon? It's like because there's a specific deliberate plan. Right. There's then, a time when these things are going to go out into the world and, you know, you we know. need to make sure it all all the pieces come together at the right time. So, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of that. And that system is, like, put in place in response to, like, sales deadlines mm. and, you know, kind of, like, making the book proceed on the appropriate schedule for yeah. making, it, making it happen and getting it out to the most people. Right. And we talk about this a lot, but I... I think cartoonists are either coming from web comics or from much, much smaller publishers mm. or people who are coming from other industries other than publishing can often have this feeling of like, why on earth is this taking so yeah. long? And it's like, well, it's because many different people are making sure that your book doesn't have mistakes in it, right. <laughs> for instance. Yeah. Including you, the author, yes. who takes time to review the book and decide what changes you want made and then communicate about them to your editor and managing right. editor and then have your designer implement them. Yes, I mean we don't we don't want to be telling an author, okay, you need to look at this in a day and get back to us. You know, we want to give them enough time to yeah. be able to think things over. Yeah, especially if there's like sensitive queries or mm. like complicated queries where it's not just like should this person have ten finger fingers or eleven? They seem to have eleven right now. <laughs> but like you know, how do you want to deal with this like global issue that kind of pervades the book right. or like a well I had a question where she meant to ask I'm not sure if you're spelling this correctly because I tried googling it and I couldn't find this thing mm. and it turned out that because I had written this book 10 years ago I had based this line of dialogue on something that I must have looked up in some book that I don't own anymore. And I ended up spending probably four or five hours going through all of my reference material trying to track this down. I ended up rewriting that line of dialogue because I'm like, you know what? I can't verify this. I don't want to refer to this particular historical event if I can't figure out where this even came from. Yeah. So I ended up changing it. And I'm glad that I had a couple weeks to do my copy edits because that took most of a day dealing mm. with that one word balloon and going down the rabbit hole of wait where where did I get that name from I don't remember anymore so it's it's uh, yes anyway. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us oh, well, thank you thanks for listening to graphic novel TK we are so glad that you joined us for this discussion of managing editorial um, next week we're going to be talking about design and it's going to be awesome and we will learn how the process of the book kind of on the other side of the desk from managing editorial happens how all the pieces get put together so they can be passed through this amazing system that Jill has talked to us about today yeah, and we're going to be talking for somebody who works at a very different publisher also so you're going to get a different take on parts of this process we just discussed Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com.